two or three. Um, but anyways, we're glad you're here. We've got a lot to do this morning, and uh, so we're going to get started. If you are in Kidmo, you can head on out. If you are our guest, I, we have several guests today. If you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is an event for them to go and have their own time of teaching, small groups, they play some games, do some crafts, have a snack, stuff like that. And you can pick them up when we are done. And yes, you must pick them up when we are done. So, uh, but they have a good time back there. And uh, we're going to have a good time in here. We are continuing through Genesis, but before we jump into Genesis chapter 2, I just want to make you aware, if you did not already know, uh, you, many of you know the Hill family, Charlie and Kim and their daughter Stacy. Stacy uh, taught just a few weeks ago here, and um, Charlie's mother passed away this week. Uh, she was 93, and they are receiving friends today. So we posted on our Facebook page if you'd like to check out all that information. But they're receiving friends at three at, I believe it's Taylor Funeral Home on Highway 58. No, Turner Funeral Home on Highway 58. And then they're having a graveside service tomorrow um, with family, uh, I think at the National Cemetery downtown at 11 in the morning. So just wanted to let you know, be praying for them. Those of you who know Charlie, be sure and reach out to him and to the family. As I'm, I know that this is a difficult time for them. Um, so uh, do be in prayer for them. I'm going to pray with us right now because we have much to cover, and this is, a, this is an important week, so I'm glad you're here. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll continue on. Father, God, we thank you that you are a God who did not give up on us. We thank you for the love in which you used to not only create us, but to continue to work in our lives, to redeem us in the times that we feel beyond redemption. And Father, we just pray that today that you would be with Charlie and Kim and Stacy and the rest of their family as they mourn the loss of their mother. Um, but we are thankful that she, as a strong follower of Christ, uh, is with you today. And so we, we celebrate that, but at the same time we mourn um, and we just pray for comfort for them. Uh, I pray that as we go through your word, you would make it not only alive to us, but you would show us what you would have us do in response to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Genesis chapter 2. I hope you've read Genesis chapter 2. And for those of you in the room, and I will not ask you to raise your hands, even though you read Genesis chapter 2 when you were 10 years old, you should have read it again. So that means next week you're, you read Genesis chapter 3 when you were 10 and a half. But read it again. We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Last week, um, we began with Genesis chapter 1, and we didn't do a whole lot of interaction. Today, we're going to do more of that. If you're a guest today, just so you're not freaked out by what's about to happen, we will not bring any snakes out. Not today. We'll wait till next week. So we won't do it today. No, seriously, we don't do that. But um, we have been doing for the last few months a series of interactive sermon series where you have a chance to ask questions or respond, or I'll ask you to say something or do something. Um, and so we're continuing that with this series. However, those of you who are with us through our series through the epistles of John, we, our point, our goal is not to go verse by verse through Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, we're not going to try to hit every single, in every single verse. I want you to read every single verse, but we're not going to talk about every single verse. We are going to hit the highlights. We're going to hit the main stories. All of Genesis 1 through 11 will help that come alive to you, but we are not going to try to hit every single verse. Today, we're not going to read through all of chapter 2 together. We're going to read through what are the most important things for our topic today, which is what does it mean to be created in God's image? Thank you. What's going to be, what does it look like to be made in God's image? And so we're going to read a few things um, through that. I would ask you for our same ground rules. If you would like to ask a question, 
raise your hand. It is possible I won't see you. Um, raise it high and shake it if you have to. Do some happy fingers or whatever, jazz hands or whatever, if you need to get my attention. If you see somebody around you that uh, is raising their hand and no one is noticing, then you raise your hand too, and that will draw attention. Also, if you want to disagree with anything I have to say, then you can totally do that. Please have some scripture to back that up, um, because I know some of us in here like to debate. We'll call it, say debate. That's a good word. All right. I, myself included. So, uh, I would ask you to do that, but, um, let this time be a time that's for you and for us. The reason we're doing this, one of the ways, uh, if you follow through Old Testament history that you, we follow the ways that the rabbis taught. It was not so much, uh, the, the lecture method that you see in churches today, but instead they often would ask questions and often would get feedback because the teaching process and the learning process is twofold. It's, it's give and take. It's not just I give and you take. Um, and s- sometimes um, within these uh, sermons that we, in which we've done this, it's really added a lot, stuff I would not have brought out, but it adds a lot to what we do. So our hope is to learn and to grow together as iron sharpens iron. We are going to grow together and we are going to challenge each other. It also helps us just to engage our minds and not just be passive re- uh, receivers of it. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. If you are new uh, with us, you can follow along on version which is a, a great Bible app with reading plans and different things that you can follow along there. If you'll just click on the little hamburger icon and hit events, you'll see Journey pop up and you can follow along with all my notes. You can take your own notes and you can also email those to yourself if you would like. Um, it is really a great tool to use outside of here, but also in here as well. All right, are we ready? Everybody's ready. Nobody needs a bolt for the door before we start. Last week in Genesis chapter 1, what I shared with you is our, our hope through this is not to treat Genesis chapter 1 or any of this section as a history or science text book. However, there is no tension between science and faith in my mind. There is only that which God has shown us about how he has created and that which we yet do not understand. Those things maybe we assume we understand. And we maybe not fully understand. I know that happens sometimes no one, to no one in this room. Because you all fully understand everything, right? There are times that I, however, thought I understood everything. And then new information makes itself available and changes everything. But you all never deal with that, do you? I didn't think so. All right. So probably I shouldn't be the one teaching, but this is what you get today. Because I am prepared. I also want you to know that through Genesis chapter 1 through 11... There is a theme, a thread, and we are going to follow this thread. It is not just a thread in Genesis 1 through 11. It is a thread that follows through all of Scripture. It is the process that we discussed of creation, destruction or uncreation, and recreation. Now, we're going to follow this pattern Because this is what Genesis 1 through 11 is. We have creation, and as we looked last week, God created, and it was what? Bad. I mean, good. Yes, good. It was good. He created, and it was good. Now, today, it's still going to be good. So pat yourselves on the back. You've done a great job today. Today is still going to be good through Genesis chapter 2. Next week, things are going to take a turn. And what we see through these chapters is the process of creation, uncreation, recreation. Now, not only do we see that throughout Genesis 1 through 11, we see that throughout 
the Old Testament through this cycle of God working among his people. God does something, builds them up. Every time they experience blessing over a period of time, they begin to pull away from God and there's a process of uncreation. God begins to take away. And those are the points in which we see the nation of Israel going into exile, being overtaken. We see that as before Jesus is born, as Rome has come in, right? As Jesus is coming onto the picture. And then as Jesus begins to teach, Jesus gives his life. Jesus comes off the cross, walks out of the tomb. Then we see recreation, the opportunity for new life. And as we look through the New Testament, we still see this because God's recreation is still in process. In fact, it's not going to be completed until Jesus returns, and then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So our point through Genesis 1 through 11 is to begin to study that thread and understand what God is saying, because that's the story he's going to tell until he, until Jesus returns. Okay. So follow along with me today is crucial, not only to understanding faith, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but what his goal for you is. I ran it a little bit last week about all the talk about destiny. You have one destiny. Your destiny is to conform to the image of Christ. All other destinies that we tend to talk about that God is going to help you fulfill your destiny. It's usually that means I'm going to have a better job. I'm going to have more money. I'm going to have a more comfortable life. And people think about destiny as in what do I want my life apart from God to look like? But God's destiny for you, what his hope for you is that you will fully conform to the image of Christ. And I hope that by the time we're done today, you will understand that fully if you don't already. Okay. We're actually going to jump back. I told you to read Genesis chapter 2, but I am going to read Genesis chapter 1. How do you like that? Listen, we are full service here at Journey Church. Genesis chapter 1, let's begin with verse 26, and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, as has come out in some of our conversations before, let me just state right up front, when you see man, that is interpreted as humanity, okay? So we're not talking about, now, As we go through this process, clearly he is talking about man is being created as we go into Genesis chapter 2, and then woman is created. But in the sense of talking about man in general, he's talking about humanity. So this applies to everyone in the room. doesn't matter who you are. What we're reading about applies to everyone within the room. Let's jump ahead to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is... How Genesis describes the creation of man and woman, as we saw last week, Genesis 1 is very much an overview, and Genesis 2 gets more specific about the creation of man and woman themselves. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, <coughs> excuse me, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Now that's going to be important later when we start talking about Noah again. There's no rain. What happened yesterday is not going to happen at this time of 
uh, the story. There's, there's a mist that comes up and, and waters and takes care of everything. That becomes important later. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now let's jump down to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, <coughs> he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then, he, then the man said, this is, uh, that, this is, excuse me, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there you go. Those are our primary passages, and there are a lot of directions we can take here. We can talk about marriage. We can talk about relationships between men and women. We can talk about equality between men and women. Uh, and we can, there's a lot of directions we can go here. However, what I want you to primarily see is that we have a creator. Not only do we have a creator, we have an active creator who didn't just create, but is still creating. Now, he may not be creating new species of people. Maybe he is. One of the questions we have to settle as we read interesting places in Scripture, like Genesis 1 through 11, where we're not even sure who wrote it or when they wrote it, we have to understand the sovereignty of God. God gets to do what God wants to do when God wants to do it, and we have to be okay with that. If we have a problem with that, then there's a bigger issue with our faith in general. Why would we not want to believe that about our God? Why would we think that he's, you know, he's pretty good, but not great. I mean, he's okay. That is not the kind of person that I want to give my life to. Probably not the kind of person you want to give your life to either. The issue of sovereignty, and this is what the blog we we sent out this week was about. The issue of sovereignty is the biggest question you will settle in your own faith. Is God sovereign or am I? Because I want to be. I'll be honest. I want to kick him out of the throne and I want to set myself right down there. I bet it's comfortable. But when we trust that God knows better, God is better, God is supreme, and ultimately God is our creator, God gets to do what God wants to do. In the places in which I don't understand what God is doing, I often come to this place to say, God is sovereign. I will be okay with what God wants to do because God does what is right. He does what is best. Here's what I want you to primarily take away, and then I want our conversation to continue with this morning. And it is simply this. We are created in the image of God. Now, if this is a new concept for you, this is crucially important and one of the most important things you can pull out of these 11 chapters. Not the only thing. We have to understand it in relation to the rest of the things. But it is crucially important to understand this thing in which Scripture tells us you were created in the image of God. Now, we have to be careful. I'm going to ask you in a minute to 
think through with some of your neighbors that you are sitting next to, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Does he look like us? Does he look like me? I mean, there's not a whole lot of work that goes into looking like this. I want you to know right now, I think God probably, I hope God doesn't look like me, right? I hope he looks better than this. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? One of the things that I come to understand, and I hope that you will as well, is that if we are created in the image of God, just as if, maybe some of you would see it and you're maybe follow after a parent. Has anyone in here been told you look just like your parents, one of them? Yeah? Okay, I hesitate to ask this, and spouses don't answer this for your other spouse. Does anyone tell you you act like one of your parents? <laughs> spouses don't answer, right? Okay, so... Yeah, so sometimes when we think about we're kind of in the image of our parent, it makes a little more sense. Like, I just naturally sometimes act the way my parents do. We have to understand then, if we are made in the image of God, there is something unique and special about understanding what that image is. Because if we are made in His image, then that means we can't truly know ourselves until we truly know God. Okay. If we are made in God's image, that means it doesn't matter how many books you read or counselors you go to or documentaries you listen to or friends, well-intentioned friends who want to give you advice about how to be the best you or even pastors who write books about how to be the best you. We cannot fully understand ourselves until we understand the one in whose image we resemble. So now, as we begin to understand that, it becomes more clear. Understanding what it means to be made in the image of God is crucial. It's so very important. And and as we look at this, just to settle a question in some of your minds who could easily and theologically go to the place of saying, well, Adam and Eve did. But they lost that. They lost that when they sinned. They're no longer in the image of God because you can't be sinful and still be in the image of God. And if you say that, I would say this. You need to read some more scripture. Let me follow along with you. Genesis chapter 9. Your lifeblood. This is talking about what happens if we take the life of another person. This is after the fall. They're kicked out of Garden of Eden. Your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it in the form, require it from man, from his fellow man. I will require a reckoning for the life of man. In in other words, if you take someone else's life, there will be a reckoning. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So even post-fall, he's talking about, listen, there's going to be a judgment if you take the life of another person because they are made in my image. James, in the New Testament, if you want to say, hey, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? James chapter 3, verse 8 says, no human being can tame the tongue. This is a whole other sermon. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are what? Made in the likeness of God. So as we look through both the old and the new, following the fall, Scripture still says you are still made in the image of God. This is important. This is not something that we lost. So gosh, I don't know what that would have been like. There's a piece of you. There's a part of you. There's something about us. That was made in the image of God. As we go through and understand the New Testament. One of the things that Jesus calls us to. And this is where we get back to that destiny question. Is that Jesus renews us to better reflect the image of God. So there's an imperfection in us. 
Jesus is bringing us back to that perfection. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We have put on the new self. This is those who are following Christ. We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Jesus is renewing us and bringing us more in alliance alliance with the image of Christ. This means that there is the image of the perfect sovereign God and there is us who reflect him. Not that we are him. That is an important designation. Because there are some faiths that believe with enough work and enough discipline and enough practice, you can become equal with God. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you reflect God. This would be similar and let's say we wanted to erect a statue of your pastor and put it out front of the church. I don't know that you would want to do that, but in case somebody wanted to. No. Yesterday, I... The boys and I went with my dad to watch the Vols play basketball. It was a great game. They barely won. Wasn't sure if they were going to, but we had a good time. As we went outside to wait on the shuttle bus to take us back to the car before Armageddon was, you know, coming in on the winds, uh, that we, it was the first time I had seen where they had created a monument for Pat Summit. Have any, any of you seen that? It's really a, a wonderful thing. And if you didn't grow up kind of watching Pat Summit and seeing Pat Summit and what she did with the Lady Vols, it really was a very special, special time. And, college uh, basketball, any college basketball, men's or women's. It was just a special time. But I looked at my dad. I said, you know, that's the first time I've seen that. And it really is. It kind of moves you when you see a monument. It's like, why did, you know, this is someone who their impact was so great that they erected a monument to remember them. And you can't help but stop. And if you grew up watching Pat Summit, then you, you can't help but just stop and think about your experiences watching in Tennessee, at least. Some of you who have come in may not no lady vols basketball you should but it's up to you but just like that statue's not pat head summit neither are we god yet both can reflect the image of someone so what does it look like to reflect that image what does it look like for you as an individual to reflect the image of god in your life around your life to others Now, there could be a million answers to this question. I have some thoughts, and I want to know what your thoughts are. So uh, it's been a lot of fun as we've kind of worked through kind of the the racial reconciliation pieces between churches in Chattanooga. It's been a lot of fun just to talk about our differences and the assumptions we make about God and Jesus. And every uh, racial group has its own picture of Jesus that is depicted in their own skin color. I always thought those were interesting. Like, who's right? Is it European Jesus that, you know, many of us have? You know, is it, is it black Jesus? Is it, you know, ghetto Jesus? Is it cool Jesus with the thumbs up? You know, is it hipster Jesus? Who, who is it? We, we want to create these images that kind of recreate him in our minds based on how we see him. But what does it really look like for us 
to reflect the image of God. And so this is what I want you to do. This may be a little uncomfortable. If you're, if you're a guest, this may feel a little uncomfortable. You can just act like you're talking to the person next to you if you want to. But for the next couple of minutes, I want you to get in groups somehow together. You can stay right where you're seated. If you're by yourself, scoot in one direction or the other. And if you look at someone and you think, I don't know that person, assume this is their first time here. So be on your best behavior journey, folks. And let's include them in the conversation. Question is, how do we reflect the image of God? I'm going to give you a few minutes, and then I'm going to ask some to share what you have found, okay? All right, go ahead. All right, let's hear some. Let's hear. Let's hear it. See, now the purpose of these kinds of exercises is to activate our knowledge of Scripture. Take what we know about Scripture and activate it, not just beyond, uh, this is what Scripture says, but let's use it and understand what God wants us to do with that information rather than just keep a repository. But I want to hear what some of them are. Renee? Okay. So Jake and I um, both kind of talked about how when someone accepts um, Christ as their Lord and Savior, um, because they have the faith, they're going to... Can you all hear in the back? No. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so characteristics, mercy, love, compassion, grace, fruit of the Spirit, good, good, yes, fruit of the Spirit that would align you with some of the characteristics of God, okay, all right, what else, what else did you you come up with? That's it, we were talking about lunch, you're not supposed to be talking about lunch, David? Okay. And all these different things. And a lot of times I think that we are guilty of making Jesus look a little too soft. Like he doesn't, like, we're, we're a little too accepting, borderline accepting of, of sinful habits maybe. And, and we're sometimes too afraid to come alongside somebody and say, this is not healthy for you. Or, and, and give them, and when we don't do that, we give them the idea, oh, it's okay, I can just waddle in my sin, and it's not a big deal in the church. Right, right. So we, we really have to be a little more, not going home about him being, you know, table-turner Jesus, right? Where he's, right. Where he's, you know, too far in that direction, but just not making him look too soft, I guess. Yeah, so, so maybe those characteristics not just be those things that make people feel good, but also the things that are harder that lead us to actually mimicking the life of Christ, which is at times difficult right. and hard. You know, it would be it would be easy to say, well, just, we just mimic all his characteristics. Well, he, you know, he's he's also judged. So I guess I'm a judge too. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. You know, but so, but yeah, so it's that kind of coming into the image of Christ is also that of the pursuit of holiness, not just being loving. Good, good.
not outside. We tend to throw this more in the direction of people outside of mm -hmm. than inside of belief. So yeah, there's there's a time for a table flipping Jesus, but it's not at the unbelieving world. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So we need to, there's a difference in how we express this based on whether someone else is a believer or not. And if they're not a believer, why do we expect from them the things from a believer? But from each other, we are calling each other to a higher standard. That's good. That's, very, that's good. What else? Yes, that's good. That's good. I, and that is, I think that is also, Jessica, a very important thing for us to understand, is that God is creative in many ways. So the point is not that we all look identical, because that is one of the ways in which we can also reflect the image of God is through diversity, because God is creative. And we recognize that sometimes we think that we get an idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, you follow him just like me. And sometimes there are ways in which he is saying, I, I am bigger than that. I have you know, bigger goals than that, and I am more creative than that. And, that's, and, and I think we find that scripturally when Paul specifically talks about spiritual gifts. We're, we're a body, but we're all made of different parts, and everybody has a place. Everybody has a function, but not everybody has, does the same thing. And yet we're all just as equally necessary in the body of Christ uh, even though we may look different, which is a lot of fun when you get somebody in there that's very compassionate versus someone who's just very driven towards holiness. You know, you would think that, that you know, there's going to be a fight breakout, and yet they can each fully be expressing the image of God within themselves. Um, so God's creative ability is, is truly amazing. Yes, good point. Thank you, Jessica. What else? Somebody down here? Was somebody down here? Somebody raise their hand? Okay, you're getting called out, but they've withdrawn their question or their thought. All right, Natalia. Yeah. Yeah, right. A choice. There is great power in choice, it, and which is one of my beliefs about why we, we'll, you know, next week we'll talk about the tree. Why did God put the tree there? Because that was really a bad choice on God's part, right? If he hadn't put it there, we would have avoided all this, right? But he put it there anyways, you know, and, but, you know, there, there's power in choice. And depending on, <laughs> depending on your theological leaning, some of you may think, well, we don't have choice, you know, but I, I'm of the opinion that you do have choice. And one of the reasons the tree's in the garden is for us to choose. And we have the point to choose or to not choose. And yet God and his love is so full and rich in which he wants us to choose him and not force us on himself. But that's a, yes, that's a good one. Any, any other comments before we move on? Free will, same thing. Yes, very good, very good. Uh, the, the image 
and the reflection of light. And I immediately, because I love the sky, went to the moon. Uh, when you know the moon is the as David said, the lesser of the two lights in the universe. The sun is God in the center of it. Um, and when there's nothing between us and God, we reflect fully off the full moon. But and, and we can illuminate further and things look brighter. Um, but when something gets between us and God, we become more of a crescent. We don't reflect as much light. Um, we don't guide people. There, you know, you, you can't see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're supposed to be the light of the world, and we're supposed to be like the moon. Um, we've got to shove the planet out of the way and mm-hmm. all those things. I kind of equate the world and the things that get between the sun and the moon to the things that are distracting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Good. I think that's great. Thank you. All right, I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand up. Don't worry, it's going to be very uncomfortable. <clears throat> you don't have to hug. Okay, I want you to, I want you to turn to the person on your left. Your, your left. That's this way for you. This is my right, your left. There you go. Okay, that's not working. Y'all, y'all look and face me. I didn't think this through. I didn't think this through. Okay, I want you to, as you, in a minute, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, all right, I want you to say this to each other. Go to the next slide. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Say it to the person beside you. Okay, turn the other direction. I want you to say to the person in the other direction. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Okay? I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Okay, I want you to turn back to the other person. I want you to say, God sees more in me than I see in myself. Okay, I want you to process that. Have a seat. I want you to process that this week. If we are created in God's image, that means God sees more in you than you see in yourself. I'm not trying to move into some kind of motivational speech here because I'm not a real motivational type person, right? But this is what I believe to be true about the image of God is that the people next to you, God sees more in them than you see and that they see, but God sees more in yourself than you see in yourself. And when you begin to understand that, you will begin to understand and believe that when God calls you to things, when God says, this is what I want for you, this is what's possible in you, you begin to believe it and stop believing, no, I can't. Because that is what our culture tells us today is you cannot. And yet with the image of God within us, there really is no boundary there. There is no boundary to what God can do, what God wants to do. Let it sink in that God right now sees more in you than you see in yourself. Think on that this week. Craig Lonsbro was a, is a counselor. He's written several books. 
And he talks about finding your true self. We use that language here, finding your true self, your false self being that person that kind of emerges that unhealthy, not what you were meant to be, not what you were created to be, your true self, that which you truly are and that which God is truly calling you to be. He counsels in the area of finding your true self in the sense of understanding the image of God within you. And this is what he says. He says, could it be that the impossible is compelling because we have just enough God within us to know the impossible to be achievable, but just enough of ourselves within us to know that we have to rely on him to do it. That image of God calls you to look out and to see that the world is bigger than we could possibly imagine, that the possibilities are greater than we could possibly imagine. But yet there's enough of us in there, too, that says, yeah, but I, yeah, it's too hard. I can't do that. I think that's a great thought from from him. And I think that's something that we need to understand ourselves, that God created us to be representations of himself. While we are limited, God is not limited. And so when he wants to work within us, he works within us in ways that can change the world. As we read through several of the stories, both of Genesis and the rest of Scripture, we find people that God did incredible things with, and they changed the world, ordinary people. Jesus himself was said to not have drawn anyone because he was charismatic or a great speaker, because he he looked just compelling to be around. Instead, he was someone that people would generally want to distance themselves from. You read about John the Baptist who kind of heralded Jesus' coming, and, and he was certainly not someone that we would probably want to emulate, in which we're out just living in the woods and we're eating off the, the land, and you know, we were rough and probably not taking a whole lot of showers and not using deodorant. I'll probably I tell you that. He wasn't using deodorant, and yet thousands and thousands of people came because God was doing something within him for the world. When we begin to understand that we bear the image of God and that God is at work within us then we do begin to believe that the impossible is possible. But yet we all have run up to our own limitations enough times in which we recognize, I can't do this without him, which is the point. One of the things that it must be difficult, I wouldn't know, but it must be difficult to be a high performer. To feel like you can do it all on your own. I think that's related very closely to Jesus talking about the problem with wealth and faith. You can do it on your own. The more we can do on our own, the less we look to God to do. And our faith is weakened. And yet when we can't do on our own, we look to God and our faith is strengthened. This is what James was talking about. When he says it's a joy to experience trials because they point you to God, which strengthens your faith. God created us to be (coughs) representations of himself. And if this is true, the person next to you, look at the person next to you again. This is a lot of fun. We're going to do this a lot. Look at the person next to you. If they have the image of God in them and you have the image of God in you, the truth then must be that the person next to you is more similar to your true self than you know. You are more alike than you are different. Some of you are like, well, I know them. That cannot be true. <laughs> but if you have the image of God within you, you are more alike the person around next to you than you could possibly imagine. 
we share this image. That image is diverse and it can look different in many different ways. And I can't give you a, a succinct five-point reason on exactly what it looks like to be created in God's image. I think you all are on the right track. You are very similar to those around you. Which leads us to wonder what are the implications of this truth and this reality, especially as we live in a society in which we so quickly separate and denigrate people. And we do this in the church as much as anyone else does. You're not of my faith, you're not of my denomination, we have different beliefs about this, or you will do that and I won't do this. And we judge and we tear down people. And yet God has called us all to be representations of himself. What are, what are the implications? Susie Kassem said this. She said, if all men are made in God's reflection, then why do some people continue to acknowledge only what is in their part of the mirror? If every man was created equal and in the image of God, then how can any man claim that one race is better than another? And yet we've done that. We've done that. We have the question, and we've, we've talked about this here, and, and this conversation is going all around the world, not only between race, but between genders. Between men and women, how could one be better than the other? And if we understand the image of God, then one is not better than the other. So it's just really amazing when we begin to understand this piece and how it kind of threads out through everything. This image of God that we all share. That is not just given to some because of their behavior or because they are Christians even. Because even after the fall, they reflected the image of God. It gets very complex at this point, doesn't it? (laughs) So what does it really mean? And if you're wondering if I'm going to answer that, the question is no, I'm not. This is what we wrestle with. There are a number of questions that when I stand before God, I'm going to ask him. I didn't understand And I hope by then I will. But this is one of them. The other is, how do I clearly in three sentences or less explain the Trinity? I'd like to be able to do that. I can't do it. Every analogy falls flat. There are many things that I'll want to know and I don't understand and you don't either. But we wrestle with them regardless. This is a part of following Jesus. You know, we talk about iron sharpening iron just as one man sharpens another. You know, that is a violent process. I don't know if you've sharpened anything, but sparks fly and metal shavings fly and things are changed. Things that aren't supposed to change, change. It's, it's hard. Which means we should be able to have conversations as we struggle through this and say, I disagree with you, and then still walk out arm in arm. We're all struggling with those things, but this is, this is the calling of conforming to the image of Christ. This is the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. I may never get there. In fact, until Jesus returns or I'm there with him, I won't fully get there, but, but that's where I'm headed. I'm going to work towards this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to figure this out. And that's why the church does have to be at the forefront of conversations when we talk about people who are marginalized for whatever reason. They all, every person, the person that you wish right now was not drawing breath, bears the same image of God as you. That's why he says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Because he sees something so much bigger than we do. 
So let's wrap up. You know that means I got a little more, but I'm going to move quickly through it. Um, One of the things that I believe that we can take away from this is that God wants us to continue following Jesus so that we better reflect him. Renee made some good comments about that. They made, several of you made some good comments about that we kind of begin reflecting. We, we treat people the way God treats us. So we love, we're compassionate, we're merciful, we're graceful. You know, we do watch our anger. God can get angry, but he never sins in his anger. I, I'm not sure I've mastered that quite yet. But, you know, we mimic God and we work towards that. He wants us to continue to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, as we follow the teachings of Jesus, it should draw us to that. Maybe imperfectly while we're still on this earth, but at, at some point, it, we, that will be refined completely within us. What you got? Yeah, everybody loves table flipping Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everybody loves table flipping until he's flipping your own tables, right? Huh? Um, yeah. Isn't that, like, isn't that kind of giving it to anger, though? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is where, <clears throat> Knox, this is where I come back to the sovereignty question. If he wants to throw a table over, he gets to do it, right? However, that, you know, there's a bigger conversation around that. And as we, if, if, if we were to really spend a couple of days on table flipping Jesus, there's more to that story than just Jesus got really mad and he just started flipping over tables. There's actually a whole lot behind that story that is very cultural and is ushering in and demonstrating a fulfillment of things from the Old Testament in which he himself would fulfill as the Messiah, uh, i.e. the temple needs to be overthrown so that the Savior can rise above what the temple has been. So that's, that's something, maybe we'll talk more about that. We've talked about it some in the past, but yeah, when God gets angry, typically when God gets angry though, what we see is that God is angry at what people are doing to other people. That's different than just, I'm just mad right? Sometimes I just get mad. I mean, I don't really, I'm a pastor. I just very calm (laughs) most of the time, but I've heard that people get mad sometimes just to get mad. And, you know, and that's different when God is saying, I listen, because this was one of the prophecies that Jesus himself spoke, which was, I have come to free the oppressed and the hurt and the captive. If you're the captor and the hurter and the enslaver, that you don't want to be on that side of God. So, you know, when we see that, it is a different kind of anger in which that's what it looks like to anger and not sin. Yes? Um, it's one of my favorite verses. I wrote me a memorizer entirely. I forget the exact, like, numbers and books. Um, but it's something like if there's a garden and watchtower and he sees the sword coming in the night, if he does not protect against it, then it's him doing the damage of it. Like, that's, it's like, it was in a radio show, long story, but it was about a guy like going to war. He's like, I'm against killing entirely, though. That's not what I do. But, but he's protect. But he sees it as a protection. Yeah, he's protector. By not protecting, we're harming. Okay, yeah, that's and boy, that's, that's not a. What God was doing. It's just like, okay, yeah. This is also God was like. Um, it's not that God does things entirely by reasoning, but if you do something wrong and you have and your intent was entirely pure. Mm-hmm. It's not, as, it's not really that's not as bad, but isn't it like on a, di- a different situation from oh, I want to do something 
my intent was bad, so I did a bad thing. Right. Does God judge us based on our actions or our intentions? Well, that's a, so you're bringing up lots of ethical dilemmas today. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, and that's a good question. That's a, I think that's a very, that's a fair, that's a fair point. All right. I got to wrap up, but oh, Mark, we'll do one more comment. Yes, that's very true. Yes, and let me let me let me kind of close this out with 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 this final thought of what it looks like to be in the image of God. Because what we've seen so far is we were created in the image of God. We didn't lose that when sin entered into the world. We're still bear the image of God. We didn't have to wait till Jesus came to get any of that restored, but yet it is still tarnished within us. That image is tarnished because of sin. And Jesus is helping to remove that. But ultimately, what we are going to find is that we will be restored to the reflection that we were meant to be originally. This is redemption. This is what God is doing in us. This is sanctification of God saying, I want you to return to what I intended for you from the beginning. And we read in 1 Corinthians 13 says, this is Paul saying, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I am growing. I am getting better at this. I am reflecting more clearly. However, that we still are not there. <clears throat> In the Garden of Eden, we perfectly reflected and experienced God. This is what God intended, and this is what God wants for you. To perfectly reflect and to experience Him. Romans 8 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We are called, this is what we are called to. This is what God is celebrating within us. Philippians 2, 5, and 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We are not God. You will never reach the level of God, but we can more perfectly reflect him. And and, uh, Leslie, she left, I guess. I don't know. I guess she's back here getting ready to come out and sing. But she, that was a great illustration where the moon, a full moon, she's poking her head out now. There's a, the full moon reflects the sun the best it can. It's still not the sun. And that's a great illustration for that. Then I want to leave you with this quote from Augustine. And this is what I want you to take. I want you to remember what we said before. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. God sees more in the people next to you than you see in them. Augustine said this, True freedom is not choice or lack of constraint, but being what you are meant to be. That is true freedom. Humans were created in the image of God. True freedom, then, is not found in moving away from that image, but only in living it out. That is what we attempt to do as a faith community. It's to live this out fully 
And that is where not only true freedom is, that is where true living is and fulfilling what he intended us to be. Okay? Next week, chapter 3. We're doing good. Everything's good. Everybody's happy. Things change next week. And that's what happens in life. But yet we will, as we dip down into the uncreation, we will return to recreation again. So hang in with us and be sure and bring a friend next week. All right. Father, God, I thank you that your grace is so full and complete that even though we sin and are nowhere near reflecting you as we should, you love us. Even in our imperfect worship, our imperfect service, our imperfect generosity, not only do you love us, but you have invited us to know you and to walk with you. And so, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that we will begin to not only experience that fully, but we will begin to share that with others as well. I pray that every person here in this room, every person who's watching online, I pray that they would fully experience what it looks like to be in your image. That they would feel that power. That they would feel that an immense honor. But that they would also seek to grow in it and share it with others. I pray that our love for others would be unmatched by anyone save God himself. I pray that our compassion would be above all others save God himself. I pray that our forgiveness would know no bounds beyond anyone except for God himself. And Father, I pray that we would reflect you because that is the greatest honor of our existence. So Father, lead us, embolden us, empower us, and work in us so that others can experience this incredible beauty too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.